Hello, everyone. This is Yifang. With me is my co-host Lily. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Um, so today we're going to talk about one of the greatest classic slash silent films. Well, really, just films of all time. Where when you get near nineteen twenties and after, the techniques and the film language started to be so mature that you're able to have these movies that are sort of closer to how we're watching movies today. And so when you're doing that, you can start watching these movies that are almost pretty obviously classics, you know, in the in the great grand scheme of times. And they hold up even to this day. So um, I don't think I saw anything this week um, because I was super busy. You probably were as well, right? You didn't watch anything yeah. else this week? Yeah. Yeah. So other than that, classic wise, I, I didn't get a chance to watch anything. So. I guess for this week we can dive right in. Um, what do you think of the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, nineteen nineteen, the German German movie, or nineteen twenty, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah, definitely a great horror film. I'm it, at least uh, that's what they were calling it at the time because there was a lot of things about it that really were eerie. They were different. The German expressionism, you know, everything's just so new. Although even to na- today, if you haven't seen it before, you see it with these fresh eyes and you're really, you know, disturbed by everything you're seeing visually, whether it's the set or the characters. Um, everything is very off kilter. And I notice, I don't know, I called, I put it in my notes like hunched shots sometimes, but... Um, it was really a unique movie. And then what else? Well, that's In for a, sure. It's mm. absolutely unique. Um, it is the father or grandfather or one of the big uh, origins of the uh, genre called film noir that we'll eventually get to. And all the trappings of film noir means like, you know, usually film noir means it's a darker movie, a detective movie, you know, people get killed mm-hmm. and the detective has to investi- investigate, uh, you know, who killed them and stuff like that. So that's like all the, the uh, film noir genre and all of the stereotype and cliches that come w- way after. But this is one of the um, roots of that, one of the f- films that started that sort of uh, idea that um of the darkness of that but i i think above and beyond film noir one of the key elements of this movie that was quite interesting was just the entire psychological or psychiatric aspect yeah that was really interesting that that goes above and beyond a a typical dark murder mystery or a typical film noir it's just what reality means and all that stuff it's it's really really fascinating Yeah, I agree, because they say, I don't know so much, like we talked about before, there's no quite firsts, but I was very surprised by all the plot twists that were in this film. Oh, I was, yes. you know, I was like, what? <laughs> what? It was mind freak every every time it gets deeper into the film, yeah. which was great, which made it more compelling to watch. You're like, wait, I have to watch, you know, you just want to. Yeah, obviously, if you're not paying attention, you want to pay attention after this because you're like, wait a second, what is going on? What is interesting is if you actually, uh, I have seen this movie before, but uh, I, I, I haven't seen it like repeatedly over the years. So this is might be my second, third, fourth, I can't remember what, what number now. But uh, what I did notice this time was that uh, the reality shots, if you will, and we're going to spoil the movie, so this is more than 100. Uh, close to 100 years now, so... Yeah. <laughs> no spoiler alerts on this one. We're just going to go for it. The, uh, it. So at the end of the movie, we come to find that the main character himself belonged to Insane Asylum himself. So he himself was a little crazy, and all of the people inside of the asylum were parts of his story. You know, the, the, the fiancé, supposedly, is crazy mm. herself, and the, the doctor, Caligar... Gary is crazy, supposedly, but even though he was the real doctor and and you know over the years, um, there are many many TV slash movies now 
since that time have used this convention like many 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 times you know mm -hmm. it's it's now uh definitely cliche so um I, I don't know if this is the first work that has done it but certainly in the world of film uh it's very much a sort of uh follows the theme of sort of like um oh i'm gonna blank on the book name but there's this book holden coalfield what is that uh catcher in the rye oh catcher in the rye there yeah. You go. yeah so in that book if you read the book you you know that the narrator you can't really trust it's an untrustworthy uh narrator and i think it's gonna be the same with this type of movie is that when you start out you're like y you think it's a pretty normal movie and you know it, it's a couple of guys sitting down and the, this guy's retelling his story right you know at the very beginning mm -hmm. of the movie and the set's actually not really it, it doesn't seem like a set it just seems like a pretty normal wing of our building or something um but then it gets into that fantastic you know set design of the german expressionist i th i feel like all of the those sets were when he's describing his sort of insanity story but if you cut back to the reality even at the end there was maybe e either less of it or it's not very apparent that it's it's a, a imagined set like it's more grounded in reality i i noticed that on the on the repeated view so I, I thought that was interesting so like all of those interesting sets that's like his perception of reality which is insane and that's why huh. all of the sets were really weird you know what i mean yeah that was in his dream state his reality like perception of reality state of insanity but if you look at his when he was uh back in in the real world as it were all the sets are pretty normal. There weren't any weird, weird jacket stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now that you're mentioning that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So. I, I didn't notice that. So like, it's so deep that if you watch this movie over and over again, you're like, Oh, I, now I pick up on that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. But yeah, certainly, uh, it, 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 it's so many, so many, uh, themes, uh, to rise out of a single movie you know there's this theme about like you know what what does authority mean like if you say if you can just one of the things i was interested in was like you could just call yourself a doctor back in the those days you had to show your credential and people mm -hmm. believe you <laughs> oh yeah so there are like this carnival idea and like yeah i'm a doctor and here's this thing i'm gonna show you and you know he's been asleep for 23 years now he's awake. Like, oh, I will totally believe that because you called yourself a doctor. <laughs> right. So it's this yeah. notion that just because you're an authority, uh, you can basically say anything you want, and then it trumps almost anything else, right? So that's like mm. one interesting theme about authority and how, as a society, what you conform to or not. Uh, another perspective or point of view is just reality. Like what I was just talking about is, you know, when it flashes back, when he's telling his story, it's an unreliable narrator. So then th that reality is distorted. You know, what's real, what's not real. So that's quite interesting. That's a very philosophical sort of thing where if you look at like Plato or Saddle or, you know, all those philosophers, they often talk about those things. And then there's another thing about double life, which is like Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, essentially. I mean, that's another great silent movie, by the way. Maybe we'll tackle it. But uh, so that's that's another big one where you you think that this doctor is uh, one person as well as that Caesar uh, Cesari or whatever mm. character. And uh, it turns out he was just a doll. Right. He, he, the, he, the main character observes him to be sleeping in the cap in this cabin. Yeah. When in reality, he was out there killing people. <laughs> and it turned out yeah, he was just yeah. a doll. Right. That's the whole yeah. notion of uh, what's the whole, uh, the the doppelganger which is the you know if you're it's your double essentially that's where that term comes from the german phrase not to be too snooty <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's that that's that whole theme and of course there's also all this uh there's there's and then of course there's all this cultural stuff that that is i don't know if it's a baggage or not but certainly uh it's post sort of world war one uh there's a lot of pre-world war ii post-world war one uh sort of 
just themes that come up culturally um, where sort of, you know, Germans were in that war um, and there's just a lot of fears, I think, from that era and what that meant and how that could be sort of... Uh, I think this movie portrays some of some of that fear about that, and that's why there's a lot of bits and pieces of it about the psychiatry and about murder and just all that all that stuff. So I think there's a lot of stuff tied to that. There, that and that's only just sort of scratching the surface of this movie about those themes, you know? Yeah, exactly. There were a ton of themes. I was also watching um, kind of a film. Not so much a film course, but someone was talking about all every basically everything you mentioned. Right. Like when Caligari goes into the clerk's office and he's really high up on a chair. I think they mentioned that's supposed to represent the hierarchy in German society at that time, where you know Caligari's lower than these people. I'm glad it you just brought yeah. that up because um, that's one of the biggest things that you notice right away uh, about great movies uh and it's not exclusive to this particular movie specifically i'm talking about just the greatest movies of all time from anywhere you know whether it's the where's it or Oz or uh now that like back then gone with the wind lawrence arabia much much later uh, all these movies that like even like uh sound of the music or uh singing in the rain all these great movies that we look back upon and we just say oh these are downright classics I think if you've, uh, and you can uh, certainly, there are many, like those YouTube analysis type videos, mm. uh, you can watch many, many times over. Uh, the most common thing that has come out of those is the way they frame the shots. Uh, later on in the 50s and 60s, is a per- I forgot the name now, but there's a French guy that ter- coined the phrase maison-scene. And essentially just b- how you frame the scene uh like physically where the characters are in relation to one another you know what i mean and that's just Mm -hmm. how you frame the shots and the greatest movies of all time do that with incredible excellence and just as that analysis pointed out you know why does that someone sitting on such a high chair and yes it is part of the german expressionist uh set design where it's entirely uh artistic right where they would have all these sets that have very strange perspectives, right? What's what's really far in the background? What's really forward in the background? What's in the middle? And it's actually very theatrical too, right? So, you know, in theater, sometimes you have all these perspectives. What's closest to the audience? What's in the, going on in the background? All of that has got to be telling a story. Yeah, that's contributing towards the theatrical experience, right? Yeah, I thought it was very... The, the way it was dramatized was very stage play, yep. which was, you know, which is also captivating for me just because of my background. So I was, you know, it was once again, very captivating and you want to pay attention to every little detail because if you miss one thing, you're not going to understand the rest of the show or the film, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's even to that person that was, uh, trying to rob somebody and try to it's the fake murderer person that got caught the first guy that got caught well he came out of something from the background moved his way uh kind of slithered his way to the medium and all of a sudden to the foreground i just love the way the technical parts of that were shot just the way the framing is done and that's the beauty of these you know greatest movies of all time is all of them have had great framing and uh I feel like today, nowadays, modern days, uh, not to be, again, a uh, <laughs> poo-pooing. <laughs> yeah, getting on my uh, <laughs> high horse here, as it were. But if you watch a lot of modern movies, they, they simply don't pay attention to that. You could put a still frame in and they don't really tell a story. Um, and the great thing is about older movies is that uh, within a given scene, it's got its own uh, story in and of itself. And in this movie, they spell it out so explicitly that there are six acts. And each of those acts tell its own sub-stories. It's almost like six separate stories that add to one single narrative. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's what what's uh, beautiful about movies like this. is uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's got multiple themes, but also it's all enforced by all of these 
six separate stories, but each of those six separate stories have its own beginning, middle, and then, you know? Mm. So, go ahead. I, I was, well, I was going to agree with you. Um, I've actually, I saw something similar. This was before, uh, you know, we even started the series about film analysis. Um, a certain director, I think he was a British, I don't remember, but he was what, he directed Shaun of the Dead. He's done a couple other films. But the way he oh, does Wright. his, sh- oh, thank you, Edgar Wright, yes. Yes, the way he does his shots compared to, a, they were comparing it to, you know, American director scenes, which were very boring, very basic, just straight shots where he's, um, another one of Edgar Wright's show movies excuse me and you know they're showing a train go by and with the actor and it's rushing with him and then he's on the train he's rushing it was all kind of go 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 and then there's this there's this pace to it where they compared it to a you know another movie i think it was sandra bullock she's just driving in a car you know deep today going to la but it was very the dynamics of it were so different you're one you know you're watching one of these films and comparing it to the other and you're like this is a good movie because you know because it doesn't draws in your interest so well and that seems as if it's being lost that kind of art style absolutely i mean that's one of those uh yeah I, i don't think anybody uh sort of the average audience who goes in to watch a movie will actually notice these you know little details especially if they watch like a Edgar Wright movie and they come out and say oh yeah I noticed all that frame I don't think they'll point that out uh, unless you're like me but (laughs) (laughs) but if you're like um, an average person you're watching this movie I think part of what makes it great yes there's you know very often great acting uh, great stories great twists Uh, uh, there are many aspects of a film that will make itself known to be excellent and amazing and really hit you in, in many, many ways. Or maybe the, the story is really emotional or impactful or can be very personable for your, yourself and how you can relate to the characters. And all of that can be true, yes, but I think the, the greatest movies have all those elements. Plus, there's always this plus a little bit more of those other things and things that are, uh, I think, subconsciously, uh, adding to those experiences onto itself. And so those great movies, right, like have great framing and have great, you know, great soundtracks, great this, great that, and great artwork, great costume design. And all of those little things will add up to, again, just more great, you know, adding to the narrative, adding to the story. And I think that's part of what helps people uh, realize it's an amazing movie it's because of all those more what we now is subtle things uh, but actually uh I, I, again some of those probably uh youtube series reviewers have done it uh, for film analysis some of it's probably just psychological like mm. uh the thing the scene you're just talking about was okay you you went to this authority figure who was literally on like a very high chair well, psychologically, how are you going to feel, right? If mm, just, exactly, just yeah. Your, it, it's it's something you can't describe. It's just a, something you can feel. Uh, and certainly that's true of many, many movies where they utilize that sort of technique in film uh, over the ages um, where, like, if, you're, if your camera is looking down at somebody, then you as the audience or wh- whoever's perspective you're looking through the lens, you're going to feel more powerful and the character that you're looking at is going to be more weaker because that's the perspective you're using the film to lend to the story. And vice versa, if you're looking up, you, the audience, will feel weak versus the, the, the thing that you've looked at, the, the character, object, or thing that you're looking up, it will be more uh, powerful, you know, or coming from a, a place of strength, you know. And mm. certainly that's true of when you frame something like that on a single frame <laughs> or a scene of a movie you know what i mean yeah and that is uh so the things that i noticed uh, again more about this time was just right from the get-go all of the titles are like extremely detailed and well drawn and if you notice that but like it's mm. just not a font 
and like here's what's going on or here's the story or here's the dialogue it's like you know this cascading you know ziggity zaggity green shots or whatever <laughs> it's incredibly yeah. time consuming that somebody drew all sorts of designs on just the titles and you know you're in for a treat when just the main titles have been worked on to such a degree you're like wow i could just pause this and enjoy this drawing mm-hmm. <laughs> like you have to watch the movie it's just admire the inner titles or the main titles you know um but afterwards when the movie starts the the amount of depth that this movie was framing wise was amazing again going back to framing like especially not so much even in the um reality sequences is pretty amazing like the first shot especially i noticed was when the two guys sat down and this his quote-unquote supposed fiance right was walking Mm -hmm. all the way from the back way far in the back i don't know how far back maybe 100 feet i don't know i'm just guessing and then she walked by them you know all the way from the the back to the, the background to the medium to the foreground and past the camera like right from the get-go you you're in for that experience and throughout the whole story that he's telling of his sort of quote-unquote sufferings you could see that entire thing where including when they're chasing Susari throughout the town the chases the walks the the people they're just making use of the entire stage if you will you know mm. and i love that just just the, that whole thing onto itself is amazing and also just the shape of the lens they closed the iris, you know, in, in a circle. Yeah, thing. all those were great. Yeah, versus just a, 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 a square shot. We don't really do a lot of that today because it's very much a silent film sort of. In fact, when people make fun of silent films, like in, the, in that 2011 uh, movie called The Artist with the Dog. Oh, right, ever, right. Do you remember seeing that one? I did see it, yeah, but so I know movie, of it. They make fun of this convention a lot with the irises. Because <laughs> hmm. a lot of the modern movies, unless they're trying to tell you something about that, they don't use that. They don't, like, you know, uh, zoom. Like, they don't close the entire iris onto a specific area of the screen to tell you to focus on something. But, of course, this movie uses it a lot. Um, not a lot in terms of just uh, flagrantly, but, like, to tell you something, to tell you to focus on something because it's going to mean something later on, you know? Mm. That's what I love about it. So it was also great too, when they did the closing of the iris and they opened it back up too, because they would switch shots, which, you know, would continue the story. And I thought that was really great to do because, you know, it was really smooth transition. Yeah. And something else I, you know, coming you know talking about this movie too is you know the feature like thinking of dr caligari too he's just he's a weird looking guy you know his features are all cartoonish he's got the weird gloves like mickey mouse gloves but he you know he's the way they did his makeup it was interesting i could i could kind of tell that they a lot of them were wearing some type of grease paint Oh, but, yes. I'm glad you noticed that. Oh, yes. That. <laughs> yeah, because the way they were sweaty. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, he looked very, like, Caligari was very feral and oppressive. Yes, Having yes. the makeup on his nose and just, you know, all that increase, increasing in the crease. What am I saying? Basically putting all that in his creases on his face. You know, it just made him more, you know, interesting character too but extra just extra creepy <laughs> well all of all of the dream se- or sanity sequences had everybody almost everybody especially the main ones had all of that mm. the girl had it the the main guys had all all of them have had ex- very much accentuated uh the features yeah. Uh, yeah dark shadows like it wasn't using lighting to create shadow because it was using makeup to create shadows mm. which is like it adds to the dreamlike state of the insanity phases, you know? Mm. Now, if you remember, again, this is the, I was paying attention this time, but in the beginning and the, at, at the end, when they exited the, the insanity storytelling part, in reality, they didn't have any of that back makeup. If they did, it was more subtle, right? Mm-hmm. Like, all of those shadows were gone from the from that original doctor right who he thinks is dr caligari yes i was surprised to even when he came out i you know looked at him really hard like wow that's the same guy what's going on it's amazing right (laughs) yeah it's 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 
on purpose. It's like in in the real world, it's that way. But then in the insanity world, everything is topsy turvy. Everything is dreamlike, you know. And 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 is this real? Is this not? And if you know, sometimes in dreams, it is kind of like that. It's so disorienting, like the way the sets are made. And I love oh, how yeah. the actors portray it as if they're gonna fall to their side, like almost like the gravity didn't exist. If that makes sense, like in dreams, sometimes like at least that's how I dream. Sometimes you don't know if there is gravity; it's just flying everywhere. <laughs> like yeah, it's you very, fly. Like, it's a dreamlike state. And so when the movie in this movie, when it's trying to describe all those scenes, he's retelling his story, especially uh, Dr. Calari's cabinet. Like when try just trying to get in and out of it, almost like they're falling over because of the perspectives of the design of the cabinet wasn't entirely uh, rectangular or square at all. It's, it's completely mm. lopsided. It's almost like a topsy turvy boat. You're just like, oh, I don't know what's up or down, and they're just gonna. And everybody was that way. Everybody was that way, and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's tinted. If you notice this time, lots yes, of tints. Yes, it had lots a lot of nice tints. Gold, green, pink that works, and they're all intentional. So, um, the Sasari, the first time we see him wake up was quite amazing just in terms of uh acting i mean it's cheesy acting now i think we look back on yeah but again no, i liked it though it was just you know for, for what it was i was like look at all you know look at all his muscles moving <laughs> but, but, but i you, it, it's it's yeah you pay attention you're like whoa but if weird. you go back to the context again all, it's always about that context of the time when things were more mm. theatrical especially this specific story that they're trying to tell how He's telling the story because he's insane. So he's trying to make the, make it to the fact that one of his insane asylum persons, which is Sasari, is the, the killer, the murderer. And, you know, he's telling the story, but in the story itself, as this creature is coming back to life, it's very Frankenstein-ish. Yeah, I thought of that too. Yeah, and, and the waking thing and the eyes. And I, I thought that was a, an incredible performance in the context of that time. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. So if it wasn't for like that performance, it it's it's just hard to sell like this monster was also a real person and not just a almost mechanical thing. So I thought that was interesting. Like the, you could coax a performance like that in silent films. You know, it's if, if you again always in the context of this this time of nineteen 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 twenty era acting. And when you look at that acting, it's actually quite a sophisticated piece of acting, you know, mm. to to allow the audience. It's like when you're when the camera zoomed in on that character, it was as if you were the audience inside of that tent, that Caligari of that mm -hmm. uh, sort of carnival place, you know, that was taking place. It was as if you were invited into that sort of tent and you were inside and you were part of that performance and you were on the front 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 stage and you were like looking at this thing come out and you were just like being amazed by like this performance you know so that was pretty cool what was interesting too is i actually didn't know what let me see sonambulism i figured it had something to do with sleepwalking which i ended up looking that term up anyway but i thought it was specific to this play and let's play <laughs> this film but yeah it's uh you know basically having your motor skills working when you're asleep you know so right. basically sleepwalking caesar cesar yeah, yeah. sleepwalking yeah. but just the way that twists and turns of this film work you know you're i i almost wanted to compare it's like well who's really you know sleepwalking in respect of how we're talking about this is very dreamy it's in it's kind of insane i almost saw it was the idea was overarching as well right. but there's another theme you know there's so many themes for this particular film right absolutely i mean that's the beauty of this movie right it encompasses mm -hmm. so many things But um, watching another bit of a film analysis, um, just the probably the best part, they, 
that was mentioned was how when he was going to kidnap Caesar was going to kidnap Jane and he broke into her room and you know he's coming towards her and we just as the audience can't do anything to save her oh yeah whether he's going to kill her kill her or not I wasn't sure then they did a I think my particular film, they did like a jump scare with the with the sound, so I jumped. <laughs> oh yeah! When he grabbed her, I was like, "Oh my god!" Because I didn't know what was going to happen. I was thinking, "Oh my god, is he going to strangle her? Is he going to kill her there?" Yeah. Well, he was, I think, and then he stopped yeah. mid- midair, and then was like, "Oh." He's like, "No." Yeah, and that's the thing about like it's very it's a little bit Frankenstein-ish, um, in terms of motifs. But it's one of the motifs. But I also found interesting that when he was waking up and then the guy asked him a question. And he apparently is also a uh, magic ball, eight ball or something. We could tell, <laughs> yeah. tell fortunes, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it's it's a hodgepodge of so many th- different things. It's That's why it's amazing. And the guy was like, oh, how long do I have to live? Uh, which is actually one of those questions that uh, humanity you know, is always asking. And that's the beauty of this mm. is, yes, it's entertainment. Yeah, it's, a, a, you know, one of those um, just, I guess, entertaining stories and it's really complex layer, but also is asking for the, some of those most fundamental sort of type of questions that people have and have asked through all the ages. And I thought that was interesting that it, it had this incredible depth of like, how long will I live? It's, it's such a poignant question in a movie that you know is already dealing so many with so many uh themes already you know what i mean Mm. like his friend or something and of course he he ends up dying but it's the one that he was like how long will i live it's like a it's just a i just thought it stood out you know along with the twists and turns Mm. um i love just all of the shadows that's the nature of the german expression is throughout the entire movie like a shadow has its own shadow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like at every turn, everything has, and, and just all of the shadows just, just were. It was like a, a big part of the story. You know, it's, it's almost like a character unto itself. And the way they painted the sets, and again, you know, created shadows using that. Uh, I thought that was amazing. Yeah, I agree definitely. Um, they it's mentioned too that well, everything was so vivid and surreal that you know the, it was it was just a great experience to watch this movie. Yep, you know because they did great. It, they talked about great editing and how everything just went smoothly together for the mo- you know for the most part. Right. Yeah, I, I certainly. Uh, that's, that's, I think why they call it classics because now it's become such a well-known piece of work, uh, you know, in retrospect, but in that time it was just such a, it must've been just mind blowing because remember, uh, you know, movies has just gotten started and they probably hadn't seen anything like this ever before. They may have read about it in literature, I would say, if, if they, there's probably works of literature or books that have talked about that and have stories mm. similar to that in, in a narrative sense, I'm sure, uh, because literature has been around for ages, right? So, but to see it on screen and been portrayed like that and using sort of the the sophistication of film language to communicate uh, the story, I think that's the uniqueness of this movie. Very interesting. Let's see what else. Mm. Another good thing about uh, Caligari too is, you know, once again, you want to learn more about the director and the writers and see where they ended up, um, what other films they were able to create if they even worked together again. Right. You might know that. Did they ever work together again for any other film? Uh, well, it's a little bit complicated. I think he's. Uh... He's, uh, afterwards, there's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's pre-World War II, and it's, it's where sort of all of those parts of the history started to, to change, you know, of, like, mm. 
the anti sort of you know Jewish rhetoric. Uh, I don't think the war like all of a sudden changed right away. You know, 1940s or something. All of a sudden, everybody was like at war. I think it was a slow progress, and so post 1920s, uh, you know, and 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 30s, it it took some amount of time, but in that sort of decade uh, after this movie, he actually I think had to escape uh, Germany um, just because of that. I mean, he himself, the director, was Jewish. Oh wow! So it's Robert Weiner, Weiner, how you pronounce it? But then. Uh, that's I think really the the turn is that he made this significant movie and then he he continued to make movies I think he's he's got a good number of movies of course most of them lost except for this one like anything and even this movie I don't know the copy you saw it said that there's a reel or a frame or something missing or something everything is missing something <laughs> yeah <laughs> silent movies I noticed that too <laughs> yeah so so yeah so he's you know he he's just uh you know he's just there just there's just so many things that you know that uh i think he wanted to do but then uh he didn't end up making and uh due to just the politics at home he escaped i don't think he ever went back to germany yeah fear for his life cuz yeah <sighs> i don't really know too much about he's He's most well known for this, and I don't know if his other movies have been found. His filmography, hmm. I'm not entirely sure what what the legacies of those things are. But this is the giant one. This is certainly the biggest one. Hmm. Although he died, he died pretty young. I think. I mean, not young, but like he died before the war was concluded. Uh, but certainly. Uh, during he was jur- during all the the anti-Jewish rhetoric, he he left for sure. I think he died in before 1940, before the 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 things really got started, World War Two and stuff. Mm. Anywho, oh man, another one lost. <laughs> well, that's as you're starting to. Uh, See now, that's basically the theme, you know, all these mm-hmm. silent films. Almost all of them has had bits and pieces missing, and we're literally watching reconstructs with bits and pieces missing, which is kind of sad, but unfortunately, that's just the way things are, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's very hard to even find, you know, that's what the eye and... Um, the Netherlands is trying to fix. Right. You know what I mean? Unless you have that real. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. And so, you know, afterwards, you could see what kind of influences this movie has had on many, many other movies. Right? Yeah. It's so funny. When I was reading the comments after watching a film, the film, excuse me, um, um, Someone had mentioned how Rob Zombie, you know, took straight from Dr. Caligari for a living dead girl. <laughs> and oh, then yeah. I watched it. It was just really funny. I was like, just oh, yeah, look highly at that. influential. <laughs> There's just so many things that's impacted uh, after fact. After fact, it's just there's just so many. So. Mm. That is good, though, because people have an appreciation for this film. Right. So they want to implement that and use it in their own creativity. And, you know, obviously includes stuff like, you know, the later on uh, when the talkie started to happen, it was the universal horror stuff. You know, Frankenstein, the mummy, Bride of Frankenstein, the original ones, not not the stuff afterwards. And then so many things afterwards, film noir, horror, anything of today, it's just anything, you know, noir and all that stuff. So. Yeah. Ooh. Fascinating. Mm. But that's all I really have to talk about, Dr. Caligari. Uh, can't think of anything else worth, you know, mentioning 
besides go see, you know, go watch the film. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh, if you uh, take enough time, it's one of those movies that stays with you because uh, I think you mentioned you only seen it 20 minutes before we start recording this. But it's one of those yeah. movies where it's like you watch it and it just settles in you and you're like, I don't know what it is. I'll keep thinking about it. Like it's it because it's so there's so much of it that's psychological in it that you're yeah. just like, am I in reality? <laughs> am true. I an insane? In, I mean, you know, it, it's yeah, one of those movies. Know. It's one of those movies that helps just sort of explore those topics. And I think that's the fascinating part. I, I remember that, too, when I first saw it, you know, many years ago, maybe, probably actually 20 years ago, probably now. And uh, that was the feeling I had then and, and even now, too, is that it's just a, an astonishing piece of uh, classic, whether or not it's a silent movie or not. Y- you know what was interesting? I don't know if you noticed that, but I noticed it on this time around was they didn't really uh, add all these intertitles in for everything. In fact, the actual dialogue was pretty, pretty like... Not almost non-existent. Very, very few dialogue uh, in or sto- storytelling pieces. Mm. I'll give you. An exa- I did notice that too, because sometimes I wasn't sure what was going on. Exactly. But could, you know, I could tell by their acting. Yes, but also, you know, the German were for nine, and so like when the uh, cops or inspectors with the main character was trying to enter the the cabin where they were keeping the uh, the uh, Cesari doll. Mm. And then the doctor was he. You could at least I saw you could he could you could read from his lips nine nine like no <laughs> you can't enter yeah and like you don't really need subtitles for that that's just like no I, I'm not gonna let you enter it <laughs> yeah I noticed that with Jane too when they're like she was saying I saw Caesar and exactly. they're just like what what she's like no I know what I saw you yes know? yes and she that's like, the beauty of like silent films is like. Do you even need the intertitles to know? And that's the beauty of the, the, the visual styles and the, and the way that they can communicate this. And that's why many years later, a lot of these great uh, film directors, including like Lucas, Spielberg, and De Palma, like so many of these modern directors in uh, Scorsese, all these guys, and they all love movies, right? And Edgar Wright, like the guy you just mentioned, he loves like all these old movies too. And that's what they strive to do, actually, is that when they make their own movies, they want to make sure that even if you don't use dialogue, that you can tell what's going on. Like you, like in Jaws, right? There's actually not a lot of dialogue if you watch Jaws it, when the sharks are attacking the boat. There's a few, I'm sure, but it's also just uh, a way they can visually tell you a story without mm. a bunch of dialogue thrown in. You know, And that's the greatest movies is... The great movies are the ones that can tell you the story by showing and allow you to experience it rather than telling you what the story is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Have you seen... Uh, this is a sidetrack now, but uh, it is related. It's, uh, what's that movie? The Netflix movie by Alfonso uh, Cuaraz. Uh, Roma? Uh, no, I didn't watch that. Uh, if you have time, uh, it's a perfect analogy to this movie in the sense that a movie can communicate so much without telling you exactly what the title is. And hmm. so in that movie, uh, Roma, which was, it's gotta be last year, this year, two years I, ago. I, yeah. I think it was last year. Cause like it was that. nominated for this year. But so if you watch that movie, it's like you're experiencing and they don't subtitle everything. So it's, so it's in Spanish, but it's like, they're not going to tell you everything. And yet, even if you don't know Spanish, you will know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? And mm, that technique. That's good. I mean, that guy, he probably saw movies like this. And he's like, he, they all know these techniques of film history is that if you have really strong visuals and you know what you're doing, you can tell your story through just the visuals and experiences of the movie. Sometimes these movies are just like something you experience through. You don't necessarily be told what the story is. And unfortunately, that's the, the sad part of modern uh, sort of, again, see it, today's part is very negative towards modern movies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to come across that way. It, but also, it's just because when you watch a great movie like this, you tend to be like, they really don't make movies like this anymore. They really don't make movies that are so visually interesting that you don't need 
you don't need to tell audiences what's going on. You can watch the story and you can be like, wow, yeah, I get it now. You know, this, this yeah. is telling me everything. No, I, I definitely agree with that because now they're vis- now visually interesting is using everything computer graphics wise. Right. Even if they don't, it's still challenging. I think even for the indies, even for the movies that proclaim themselves to be good, it's really hard to get across using visual style uh, to communicate. And back then, like that was it. That was their bread and butter. Just the visual. There was no. They, they minimized the the dialogue. You know. And anyways, mm-hmm. it, is this the first non U.S. movie, or or did we watch something else before this? I can't remember now. What did we watch? Body and says that's American. Uh, I know. What Lois was our list? American. Oscar Me Show is uh, American. Yeah, and, and um, yeah, I think this is our first. Well, technically, film. Uh, Trip to the Moon the... was is French. Oh yeah, yeah, French. Yes. But between that and this, you could tell that just it's it's just so different, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. so far ahead, yeah. being different. Right. It makes it you stand out and be unique. Some some people, this is all completely conjecture because you can't really predict the future, anyways. But some people have a position that if World War Two didn't happen, if Nazi Germany didn't uh, uh, rise, that the German film industry were, would have surpassed Hollywood. Like we would we would all be going, moving to Germany to make movies instead of Hollywood. Wow! If you think about that. Without the impact of war and all that stuff, all the devastation, all the negative stuff, mm. which may or may not be true, I don't know. <laughs> but it is interesting. Yeah, I've heard a lot of German filmmakers actually come to New England. I don't know what it is. They like our landscape or something, right? But you know, I'm. We don't really know any big German names now. It, we basically, you know. Being in the USA, we really only know big name directors here. We wouldn't know anyone else. Well, unless you watch the foreign movies. True, yeah. unless yeah. you watch the foreign movies. Yeah, and there's a a market for that here. Uh, not mm. everybody likes the you know the big tentpole stuff that is being shown these days. There, and that's the great thing about as it's a it's a mixed blessing of like having a streaming capabilities now, like. At the time of this recording of this podcast, <laughs> now there's mm-hmm. like Netflix and uh, so Netflix, Hulu, and um, Prime is the big ones, Amazon. But now, at the time of this recording, there's now Disney Plus, uh, CBS has its own stuff. Everybody and their grandma is going to have their own streaming platform, is, is what it comes down to now. And so, with that, the advent of the even Apple, I think, is getting in Apple's TV, yeah, Plus Apple or whatever, TV, whatever they're mm-hmm. calling it, and then. So everybody's going to have their own sort of here's my offering and platform and what it is. And uh, so it's again, it's the reason I say it's mixed blessing is because it allows people to show you different things from different countries. Um, like Netflix is so international that they invest not just in U.S. shows, but also like international. Mm-hmm. So they'll have, you know, Italian TV series or Asian TV series or, you know. German that's, TV series that's too, local yeah. exactly to wherever that region is that you may or may not be able to see too from here you know so that's the beauty of that it's becoming more with uh, the technology platform that allows you to uh, get access to things that you may may not know about or be aware of you know hmm. so anyways that's a little bit off track but it's it's kind of related but anyway the reason I bring, bring that is because of Roma the reason I bring all of that back again, is just how highly influential Caligari is to modern cinema. Uh, just the way that people have told stories. And um, so that's the big takeaway, I think. And I think that uh, with time, uh, you might be able to discuss so much more about the movie because it just sits with you. It's one of those movies you kind of have to you know, simmer a little bit and you're like, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I don't know if you have time this week, but, you know, you should try to go vi- revisit that body and soul with a different music too. It is perceptibly different, at least the way I've I- I've seen both soundtracks, watched it with both soundtracks. 
I definitely will. Yeah, highly recommend it. Last week's homework. <laughs> <laughs> Last week's homework that I missed. Uh, no worries. F. <laughs> All right. So, do you have any parting thoughts about Caligari before we uh, wrap up for the day? Um, it's a great start to our sort of October Halloween um, silent film you know podcasts it's a great introduction i think we did a you know i for me i think it was a great introductory so now i'm excited to see what else is kind of in that horror thriller genre that we'll be able to see next absolutely i mean there's this is uh the granddaddy of them all (laughs) if there was ever Mm. such a sort of title that you can bestow on a movie but then uh yeah, it makes sense. Um, I could, uh, you know, go on for more times, but I think that's probably good enough for today. Um, if you haven't seen it already, uh, be sure to watch it, even if you know now know the ending after listening to this podcast. <laughs> it's okay because it's one of those movies that you can watch over and over again, and every time, at least for me, you can get so many things out of it. It's a definitely a classic, definitely uh, highly influential uh, to many, many of the works of. Uh, film afterwards uh, from horror to film noir to just thrillers, detective stories, dark stuff, just anything to do with that, all of the modern day stuff, it's it can be uh, traced back to these movies, um, even if it doesn't explicitly pay homage to this movie. Uh, it just, it's got a huge, huge influence on the rest of the sort of film and film history. And um, so... We're going to wrap up today's podcast today, and um, we'll be back uh, next week for uh, more. Uh, in the next about three or four podcasts, we're going to focus more on the horror type or dark type uh, movies like the Caligari. And then uh, we'll see you again next week. And uh, if you're going <coughs> to, we're going to put all this up in our uh, uh, site there, um, watchingsilentfilms.wordpress.com. Again, that's watching silent films, plural. Uh, s dot uh, wordpress dot com and if you are able to leave us a comment on the Apple Podcasts or uh, Stitcher SoundCloud any of those uh, platforms wherever you find us that would help other uh, fans who you know you don't have to be a fan of Caligari or dark cinema but just silent films in general uh, help them find and connect with us as well so thank you Lily for today's podcast and also for just the audience uh, listening in. Uh, if there are still any tuning in. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you, Fong. Thank you to our audience as well. Listen to our podcast. Share it, like it, subscribe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.